Amen. Yes. All right. So tonight's word we're looking at tonight a passage of scripture where Jesus was talking about, are you thirsty? And when I think about, you know, all this, the, the, the commercials that are on TV that, you know, talks about, you know, mentions thirst, some of them like Gatorade says, obey your thirst, or, you know, others put things out there to chase after, and you're chasing after the things that you're thirsty for. But the one thing that I love about the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God doesn't keep you chasing after things. God is a God that comes in and satisfies. God comes in and satisfies and sustains. The things of this world only comes in and satisfies for a moment. That's why Jesus said this. He said, you follow me because I fed you. He said, don't labor for the food that perishes. Or that could be, don't labor for the things, don't chase after the things that are temporal, that are temporary. He said, but labor, chase after the things which are eternal. He said, because those things come to give you life and not more abundantly. That Those things come to cause you to be steadfast and unmovable. Those things cause you to be solidified in Christ Jesus. But the things that are temporal are here today and gone tomorrow. Even our very lives, the Bible says, is like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. The Bible speaks, um, the Bible speaks of, of, of us being like a flower, that the glory is shining one day, and then the next, the flower fades away, and the, the ground has no memory of who you are or what, or what you were like. So what does that mean for us? That means that every moment of our life matters. Every, every time that God gives us breath to wake up, it matters. And we need to be about our father's business. We be, need to be about what we are placed here for. And you're placed here more than those things. The Bible says, is your not life more than meat? Is your life, is your life not more than drink? Is your, life, is your life not more than the things that you in hot pursuit of? And a lot of times we're in hot pursuit of these things because these are things of the world that we're breaking away from. What does it say in Matthew? Let's go to Matthew real quick. We're going to be in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. And I feel like reading that. I'm just going to flow with the Holy Spirit. I feel like reading that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, and it says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, for what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, or what your, bo or what your body shall put on. Is not life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow, not nor neither do they reap nor do they gather yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not much more than these which of you can take which of you can take a thought and add a cubit to your stature why take a thought of your raiment or consider the lilies of the valley how they grow and they toil not Neither do they do they uh, spin. He says, yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, God, so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into an oven. Shall he not make much more clothing for you? O ye of little faith. Therefore, take no thought saying, what shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or with those shall I be clothed, or what clothes I'm going to wear. For after all these do the people of the world run after. The people of this world, the people who have no covenant, run after these. For your heavenly Father knows what you have need of, but he says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, in your minds, you're thinking some of you are moms on here. Some of you, a lot, some of you have children, and you're saying, "Well, Lord, hold on, I, I gotta feed them, and I gotta put clothes on them, and I gotta do this and do that." 
And the Lord really is saying, he's not saying to be irresponsible, not take care of the things that you are responsible for. But when those things are the, when you center your life around those things, some people center their lives around getting. Their lives is centered around achieving, accomplishing. The curse of the fall was this, that a man would find his worth and find his identity in what he accomplished. And the curse of the fall for the woman was that the woman would find her identity in a man. When in the beginning, God made man and woman in his image and they both found their image and their identity in him. So when Christ came on the scene, he came to restore that and to get rid of that striving, performing, trying to look a certain way, trying to be a certain way, trying to keep up with this or keep up with that, trying to run over here and run over here, all for the sake that people would view you in a way that you want them to view you. But is that really you? No, it's not really you. It's a facade that you have put up that you want people to see. It's like a billboard that you want people to see. So when people drive by and you see those billboards and you see the people that are on the billboards, they are not as cool as they present themselves to be. They are not as happy as they present themselves to be. But this is just a photo of a moment that, they, that they're trying to convince you that you will be happy if you buy that car. You'll be happy if you wear those jeans or that, or that, or that makeup. You'll be happy if you do this. If you're, if you're holding these golf clubs, if you're, if you're doing these certain things that these people are trying to project, then you're going to chase after that. You're going to think that's the thing that's going to make me happy. Those, those are the things that I need because if I don't have those things, then I really am not living. Can I tell you, before you were saved, and this is where sanctification comes in because the moment you got saved, you were introduced to righteousness and you became the righteousness of God through your yes to Jesus, through you saying, uh, Jesus, come in my heart and fellowship with me. Take control of my life. I want to live for you. I want to be one for you. When you did that, he came in. But what happened after that? It isn't just about salvation. It's about sonship. And sonship is, uh, is, um, is made and, and fashioned and conditioned through the process of sanctification. And sanctification is what you are what's happening in some of your lives right now. It's, it should be happening in your life. And if it isn't, it needs to. Why? Because sanctification will not stop. It'll only culminate until we what? Get in the face of Jesus. The Bible says it does not appear what it shall be, what we shall be. But when we see him, we shall be what? Like him. We shall be like the most high. We shall be like who he is. We should look in the mirror and see him. But that requires us to yield to the perfect hands of the Lord. He said in James, he said, let patience have its perfect hands. Well, we understand patience is not a thing. Patience is a person. His name is Jesus. It is his hands that you are yielding to. And if you allow him, he says, in the end, you won't be lacking nothing. In the end of each season that you walk through, you won't be lacking nothing. Definitely in the end, when you stand before him, you won't be lacking nothing. If you will allow patience to have its perfect work. If you will allow him to do what he's always wanted to do in your life. I remember one time I was in this season with the Lord and the Lord said to me, I went to on this retreat and I'm in the prayer room and I'm just enjoying his presence. And when I got there, he said, take communion with me. So I took communion. And as I took communion, I heard the Lord say to me, I'm so excited about this season, about this moment, because I get to do in you what I always wanted to do. And I was like, oh, man. And I was excited because I was like, man, Lord, I'm at this place. I'm going to get electrocuted by the, the hand of God. Fire is going to knock me down on the ground. I'm going to shake, rattle, and roll. And the Lord was like, yeah, I'm not talking about that. Yeah, that's going to happen. But I'm talking about a season, a, a season in time, a space in this moment of sanctification that I'm getting ready to do some amazing things. 
and, and the amazing things that I've made you for is going to manifest. These amazing things are going to come alive in you. These amazing things that I've put in you, they are finally going to come to surface. They're finally going to be realized. People are finally going to take notice of who you are because of what I am getting ready to do. Are you hearing me? So sanctification does this. And what is it doing? It's getting rid of something. Let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians says this. And this is what sanctification is getting rid of out of each and every one of our lives. This is the challenge sometimes that we have walking that walk of sanctification because these things are being dealt with. And sometimes those areas are a little hard or a little tough. And they don't want to go or you don't want to let go because why? You're used to doing life this way. And God is not mad with you. The Lord is saying he's patient. That's why his name is patient. Let patience have its perfect work. He'll wait on you because the gist of it is he wants to bring you into full fellowship with him. He wants to fellowship with every aspect of your heart. The father looks at you with such love, but he looks at you with such longing in his heart. And he looks at you and he says, Man, I am in love with you, but I see another part of your heart that I am not in, and I, I'm even more attracted to that. I want that even more than what I have already. And he is relentlessly pursuing by what? Standing at the door knocking, knocking, because he's still a gentleman. He knocks because he wants you to willfully what? Welcome him in because we are made in his image and his likeness, and we have a choice. We can choose to say who we're going to serve, whether it's good or bad, whether it's, eat, whether, whether it's righteousness or unrighteousness, whether it's blessing or curse. He left that choice to us. And if you choose good, then good is going to happen. If you choose bad, bad is going to happen. They will know you by the fruit that you bear. That fruit will tell us what kind of tree you are. Let's go on. I want to read this in Ephesians. Ephesians says this about us, who we used to be, and what's being happening, what's happening to us. And Ephesians chapter two, verse one says this. And ye have quickened, he has quickened who were dead in trespasses. That's you and I. We were dead in trespasses, and he has quickened us. The word quickened in the King James Version means to be made alive. It's like a lively spirit. And it's and it's a different kind of life because it's this light, it's the same light that created the stuff in the beginning, that created the earth. It is that same light when he said, let there be light and it emanated from him. So it's this same light, it's this life-giving force because the Bible says that Adam, the first man, Adam, was a living soul. But the second man, Adam, who is Jesus, was a life-giving force. Because we are the first fruits of them that have come after Jesus, we are life-giving forces. We are the light of the world because we are what Jesus was on the earth when he walked. And now he has left that for us to take that on, to run, to be in hot pursuit of those, uh, of those people in those dark places to bring that light and let it shine bright. It goes on and says here in verse two, wherein in times past, ye walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now that worketh in the children of disobedience. That's who you used to be. That's where you used to walk. We all did. Before we said yes to Jesus, we all walked there. None of us came out of our mom's saved. We had to say yes to Jesus at some point. Goes on and says here, and among whom also we all have conversations in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of our minds. We were by nature children of wrath, even as others. This is who you used to be, and this is what sanctification is doing. Sanctification is breaking away, stripping away those things that we used to walk to. It's like an, it's like an old lover, if I can say it this way. It's like an old lover you used to be in love with, and now God is detoxing you from that lover. He's breaking all the soul ties. He's breaking all the emotional ties. He's getting rid of all the things that connected you to this purpose, this person. Because why? He's 
cleansing you so that what? When that real person comes along, he can feel that space. He can feel that space. He can take his space where he's supposed to be. He can't take his space if, if another man is still there. Some of you oh. got another man that is still there or have been there, and you're in present situations now trying to love somebody in the way you love somebody else, and you don't mean to, but maybe you didn't go through the process of being totally cleansed, totally detoxed from what, what, what needed to leave your, your life. We just continue to leave one relationship and we run to the next or we see this thing and we think it's God and we think it's a great thing. And the Lord is like, that ain't me. I'm not done cleaning you yet. I'm not done washing you yet. I'm not done sanctifying you yet. I'm sanctifying you, not just for me, but for everything that will come in your life, including that individual, that person you're going to do life with, you're going to do ministry with, you're going to run with, you're going to walk with. Because why? If you don't get sanctified, the things that you were a part of, the things that used to dictate and determine who you are will continue to dictate and determine. They will conflict with the things of God. You'll hear what God is saying, but then you'll remember and you'll still have this stuff that you had in your head and there'll be a clashing and it'll be frustrating and you're going to yield to the thing that you're more comfortable to. You're going to yield to the thing that you want to run after. You're going to yield to the thing that has your heart. This walk of God, this walk of life is, is a pursuit of what, you're go what you love. Whatever you love is what you're going to run after. That's why the Bible says if your treasures are here on the earth and not above, then that's where your heart's going to be. I'm paraphrasing. And if your heart is to be set on things above, what is the things above? The things above is what, is what Matthew said in Matthew chapter 6. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and, it, and it's in the prayer that Jesus taught his, his young men how to pray, his disciples how to pray. He said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse uh, 9. He says, after this manner, therefore ye pray, our Father which art in heaven, holy is thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. If I'm still marching to the beat of this world and I won't let the father, I won't let his perfect hand have its way, then what I need to be marching to, the rhythm of the kingdom, if I could use it like that, a rhythm of the kingdom, guess what happens? Then I'm going to yield to the thing that I'm, I'm still holding on to. And it's going to clash with the things of God. Now, we were meant to be here to what? Bring heaven here on earth. How do we do that? We do that because we are we have this duplicity. We are both spirit and natural. We are here on earth in our physical bodies because our physical body is a vehicle to move down here. But we are seated. If you read a little bit further in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about us being seated in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. So we're in heavenly places and we are here on earth. And we are constantly engaging the Father, engaging his heart. We engaging the blood and the blood in his heart. Can somebody yield? Can you mute yourself? Uh, he is gauging. We are engaging them for the purpose of what? To bring heaven here on earth. To carry out the will of the father. Your life was sent here to perform something. There are things that are written about you that you are going to perform, that you're going to make happen. You, uh, can, you, can you mute yourself, please? Can you mute yourself, please? Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We've been placed here. Even when you read uh, when you read Psalms one thirty nine, Psalms one thirty nine talks about your life. Talks about David has this revelation of our days. He has this revelation of how God fashioned our days. He's fashioned every part of our days custom made them for you. He has written about who you are, what, what you are going to look like, and where you're going, and what you're going to fulfill. 
We were meant to fulfill his will, his way. We were meant, but if you don't allow sanctification to continue to happen, because that's what some of you in, you're in that space of sanctification. And sometimes where the space that you're in can be intense because the place that it's the, the area that's trying to claim for the kingdom is really hard. Or you or there's a stronghold there that needs to be broken. There's some chains that need to be broken so that you can step into what he has so he can come in and transform and change. Because the work of transformation isn't at the point of salvation. It's a continuous thing that continues to happen. Because in Romans chapter 8, it said it is the Father's heart. It is the Father's will that we would be conformed to the image of his Son. We are no longer the, uh, them that are like Adam. We are like Jesus because we are the first fruits. We are the firstborn, born, coming after him. That's who we're going to be labeled in, in, in heaven. In Mount Zion, we are them that are the firstborn. We are them that said yes to Jesus, and we're running for him because he is the firstborn of them that slept. Amen? Amen. So let's keep going. I want to I get over to Matthew chapter 5. You can flip your book to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, and it says, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Matthew chapter 5, blessed, blessed are them, or blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. And that word filled is filled is not just filled and you need to be filled again. I'm getting I'm going somewhere with this. Jesus was talking about you, his and that word there being filled means to be satisfied. That's what it means in the Hebrew. It means that you hunger and thirst. I am here to satisfy what you're thirsting for. So that what? You're never thirsting again. Let's go to John. When we go to John, we're going on the trip. We're going into the word. We're going to John. John chapter four. John chapter four. Yeah, John chapter four. Beginning at verse six. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, and it says this, Now Jacob, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore being weary with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus says unto her, give me drink. I'm going to stop there. The well wells at that time to go get water serve two purposes they serve a purpose to give water to give drink to um, the animals to the people and people had designated times in which they went to go get water the women always went with the women to go get water for their families and for their various things that they were doing the men would bring their sheep and they would water at a certain time for the animal. Everybody had a designated time. This woman coming at the sixth hour, she is coming by herself. Why is she by herself? Something wrong with that. Why? Because the other reason that the well was for was a meeting place where a man or a woman would pick each other up. In historical writing, they met each other at the well. So if a woman didn't come with the men, come with the women at the appropriate time that the women were supposed to come, and she came alone, and a man didn't come, and he was not trying, she was looking for something, and he was looking for something. In this case, this woman had a reputation already. 
And because she had a reputation, she couldn't come with the women because they saw her a certain way. So she's coming by herself and she runs into this Jewish man who she doesn't have a clue that this is Jesus. This is Jesus. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. In verse eight, for his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou being a Jew asking drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Well, Samaritans were half Jews. They were half Gentiles and half Jews. And Jews and Gentiles, didn't, uh, Jews and Samarians didn't get along because they were half and half. Let's keep going. I just want to throw that out there. We'll, we'll expound a little bit later. And Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me drink, thou would be asking me and he would give you living water. Goes on and says this. And the woman says unto him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. The water is deep. The well is deep. For whence are you going to get this living water that you're talking about? Now, notice as Jesus is speaking to her, she has no clue that Jesus is addressing something in the spirit. He's also addressing something that's in her soul. She's still on the plane of thinking about natural water. She's looking at this man, feeling, thinking this man is trying to pick up on her. He's talking about giving her water. What water? It's almost like meeting a guy and, and, and you're standing there with this guy and this guy's making all these promises. Girl, I'm going to give you the world. I'm this guy. You know, I, I, I own this and I do this and I do that and I do these things. Well, if he's an unbeliever, he's got to perform. He's going to put on a performance to win you. But if he's authentically himself, he doesn't have to perform because God will lead him or her to the right people. Your destiny helpers, people that are supposed to be in your life to help you do the things you need to do, even down to your person, God will help you and it'll come at the right time. You don't want to settle for anything that looks like or appears to be because that's not the plan of God. Let's keep going. So she's engaging him there. She doesn't have a clue what Jesus is talking about. Not yet. So we read in, uh, we're in uh, verse 11. And the woman says unto him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw. The well is deep. For whence are you going to give me this living water? Verse 12. Are thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this water and drink from it himself, his children and his animals? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh from this water shall thirst again. He's right. If I drink from this well and get the water I need for the day, guess what? I'll be back there tomorrow to get more water because why? I'm going to be thirsty. I'm, that's the way things are. There is a way to keep yourself hydrated. It is a way to keep yourself not thirsty. I don't believe in the natural. We're just going to go in the natural for a minute. I don't believe God allowed us to always be thirsty, that when you're drinking that, that cold glass of water or a room temperature water, you're at this place of being thirsty. What that says is that you're not taking care of yourself, because if you were, you would be hydrated. Then you would drink water because you love to drink water because it's actually good for you, and it's refreshing for you, you wouldn't be drinking out of desperation or out of thirst. Things were meant, if we managed and took care of things right, we were never meant to thirst. Because when you're thirsty, you will drink anything to quench your thirst. That's in the natural. We're looking in the natural. If you're thirsty, you can't get to water. Guess what? You'll drink coffee. You'll drink iced coffee. You'll drink, you'll drink sodas. You'll drink juice. You'll drink anything because you're trying to quench your thirst, but your body was designed for its thirst to be met by water. And if you kept enough water in your system, your body 
wouldn't be thirsty. It would be hydrated. Now, when you're playing sports and you're doing your thing, yeah, you're going to sweat. You're losing water as you sweat. But what? In that moment, you replenish that by drinking uh, Gatorade because it's a thirst quencher <laughs> or Powerade or somebody's aid or water, whatever it is that you're drinking. But if you're going to take care of yourself on a day-to-day -day basis, God, we have been given enough wisdom and enough understanding to take care of ourselves. And if you don't know, then you need to connect with people that know how to teach you nutrition so that you stay hydrated because we're never supposed to drink out of being thirsty. Can you imagine trying to enjoy? So I know some of you drink a glass of wine and I'm not judging you because it's talking about being drunken. Can you imagine drinking a glass of wine and, being, and not drinking it, but just swallowing it? Or do you, you, somebody hands you a, a, a bottle of juice and, you, and the moment you pop it open, you drink it and they want to drink with you and they look over and that juice is gone. And you're like, man, what's going on here? I wanted to drink with you. But when you're thirsty, that's just what it is. So now let's switch over to the spirit. Some of you are thirsty in your soul. And that's because you're dehydrated. And you're in pursuit of this thing. Or you keep thinking this thing is going to quench your thirst. Jesus tells her, he was speaking to her still in the natural, but he's using a natural thing to explain also to a spiritual truth. Because he did this a lot to help you understand the heavenly things. So he tells you, if you drink this from this well again, guess what? You're going to be thirsty. But he is also saying, if you keep drinking from where you've been drinking, or you keep doing what you've always been doing, then you'll always be where you've always been. Nothing will change. The, 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 the enemy wants to convince you that if you continue to do this, things will change. That's a lie. And you need to break your conformity to that because the truth is things either change, remain the same, or get worse. So you don't actually stay the same. You get worse and you get better based on your choices, based on what you're doing, based on where you're at. So Jesus is talking to her about this. And we go on and we're going to continue to read. He goes on and tells her this. After she, he's telling her all this, he says, but whosoever drinks of the water, this is verse 14, I shall give him, he shall never thirst. Mm. So here's that expression, just that expression alone. Jesus is talking about you never being thirsty. You shall never thirst, let alone be thirsty, if you drink of him. Mm. Let's keep going. But the water that I shall give him, shall be in him as a well of water springing up to everlasting. So the water that Jesus was going, was going to give her wasn't just water that was going to satisfy, like we read in Matthew chapter 5, verse, I believe, 6, it said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And that word filled in the Hebrew means satisfied. So if you are satisfied, you're not thirsty or thirsting, you are satisfied. Amen? Say that again. If you are satisfied, you are no longer thirsty or thirsting. Here's the thing. Then Jesus takes it a step further in this encounter here with this woman and says, not only would I give you drink, drink this water that you won't thirst, he says, it will be a well springing up in you, in your innermost being, like a fountain. It will it'll be something that you continue to drink from. Long after I have satisfied you, you will continue to drink from it. But there is a condition. We'll get to that condition. So Jesus was interested in satisfying our thirst so that we would not be in hot pursuit of that. We would be ones that are intentionally responding to things and moving with the kingdom of God to bring his will here on earth. If my heart is discombobulated, if my heart is fragmented, if my heart is split on the various things that I want 
to do or the things you think I need to pursue in, where is God going to fit into that? He's got to heal that first. That's why the Bible says the spirit of the Lord in Isaiah 61 comes upon you, has anointed you. What? To preach the good news to them that are poor. But the word, but the, well, the spirit of God is there to do what next? To mend, to fix the broken heart. To heal the soul. Because your soul, because of the fall of man, became thirsty. And you became thirsty. Like I said earlier, the curse of the fall was men that would find their identity in the things that they did, the accomplishments, the, 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 the things that made them look good, and the women found their identity in the men. And if you are broken, you're going to be in hot pursuit of stuff, trying to accomplish, trying to compete, trying to do all the things. And now here's the thing. There are women that are into accomplishing too, that are competing, not just men. And then men and then women finding their identity in men. Men can do the same thing because the world is turned around backwards. Jesus never meant for men and women to find their identity in stuff, but that's what's happening. And that's what Jesus is addressing. Those are the things that people chase. They're chasing relentlessly because they have to trust in their own self. That's an orphan spirit because they can't trust that God will do it. They got to do it themselves. As they say, you got to make it happen. You make it happen. You, you got to get out there and make it work. Well, if you're a child with no covenant, yeah, it's going to be on you. But when you are a child with a covenant, then you got somebody with you that has orchestrated things in your favor, that has uh, things that he's written about you that need to be fulfilled. And yes, he knows what you have need of. He knows what you, the things that you desire, but he also has desires too. And he's going to bring you into everything. He's going to, he's going to, uh, if you allow God, God will reveal and unfold and show you what you're supposed to be a part of, what you're supposed to be doing. He's here to give you a good life. He's here to give you uh, the life he envisioned for you. Is there going to be challenges? Yes, there'll be challenges. Those challenges are there to what? Mold and shape and perfect you. But at the same token, he, you are meant <clears throat> for more. You are meant for more. Amen? So here, she's here. He's engaging her. He's telling her. I'm here to satisfy and I'm here to sustain so that you're not thirsty. And what God's job is that he says, I want to quench your thirst in every part of your soul that you are thirsty, that you are, you are left wanting. The part of your soul that you are striving, trying to meet or trying to put things there and none of those things are making you happy because he is the one that promised he could satisfy you. Those things that are temporal will be here today and gone tomorrow, but only that which is eternal can satisfy. Because our pursuit was to bring heaven here on earth. To show the earth who, who the heavens, who, who we are, what heaven is about. Even in Ephesians, let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians is a great book. It's a small book. It's a meaty book. It's not, it's not for babies. So if you're a baby, um, milk up, get yourself together, and get into Ephesians, because Ephesians is a great book that is meaty. So is Romans. Paul wrote me. Because why? He wanted, he intended for his, the people to grow up. We need to grow up. A lot of times I believe we have this mindset that we are, think that we are here just to you know, have houses and land and, and do all these things here and just go to our churches and be this, honey, you were saved for so much more than what you think. And I, there's a scripture in the Bible that I'm going to find for you that talks about us. It's in Ephesians, and I want to find it for you. That scripture I was going, oh, here it is. Yes, I found it. In Ephesians chapter 3, Beginning at verse 8, the unsearchable riches of Christ is what this section is called. It says, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, in this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus. Well, you know what? 
you that are saved, that is your job too, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus to them who don't have a covenant, because that's what it means to be a Gentile. It is a people who does not have a covenant. It is sinners that don't know what Jesus did. Let's keep going. Verse nine, it says, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the, the mysteries, which from the beginning of this world has been hidden in God, who created all things. So there are things that God has held back. He released some things. He put some things out there, but there's some things that he has held back. And the Bible says he tells his secrets to his friends. If you're a friend of God, you're going to hear and understand some things that he is not telling generally to everybody. Because in your own friendships, I hope that you're not telling all your secrets to people that don't care, that don't care for you or cherish you or that would even hold what you're sharing. The Bible says, don't cast your pearls before swine. When you see somebody who has a swine mentality or a dog mentality, do not share those things that are precious. Because why? When they have that type of nature, they will not cherish what you are sharing. That's free. Let's keep going. And he goes on and he says this here. In verse 10, he says, to the intent. This is the most, this is the important part. Intent that now unto the principalities and the powers that are in heavenly places, that the manifest wisdom of God might be shown to them. It was God's purpose that you and I would display the manifest wisdom of God, not just here on earth, but in the heavens to the principalities, to the powers, to those that have revolted against God and have decided with the enemy and decided, to, and decided to do their own thing. It is us, the sons of God, that are the ones that have been given this mandate to, to manifest the wisdom of God. The mysteries that have been mysteries for centuries are now the things that God has held back. Now God says, I'm giving them to my sons and daughters. I'm pouring out my spirit upon all flesh. I'm filling them up with stuff that they have no clue they, they, they were supposed to know. They have no, no grid for it, but I'm pouring it out and I'm revealing it because it's their job to take what I'm releasing from heaven into them and manifest it here on the earth. And it's not just to be seen in the churches, it's to be seen in the marketplaces, in the business, in the political arena, wherever there is, it is meant for you to go to take that and show. But not only that, you're going to show that which is spiritual too, because in the heavens, they're going to get a sense of what it is to be a sold out creation of God, because they fell from their first estate. We've been restored back to our place in God, and we get the opportunity to take what God has held back, special for us, to say, I want to reveal my grand scheme, my grand plan, the mysteries, into you so that you can share with the world, because what I, what I give you would change the world itself. I believe things that are going to happen are not going to happen like people think, because it was never for us to, to be focused on what the end times look like. Jesus gave us a, a visual. He showed us certain things were going to happen. But then at the end, in Matthew 24, he said, the end is not yet. Why? He said, I'm telling you this so that you don't be alarmed. You don't be distracted. You don't Here's, you don't follow somebody saying the sky is falling because why? I'm still God and I'm still on the throne and there are things that I'm going to do. There are things that I want to do. There are things that are supposed to happen before this is all done. And until this thing happens, then the end is not yet. And the end was never reserved for us. Jesus told him, he said, the end is the only thing my father has reserved for himself. He has not even told me. Because why? What Jesus did has not, was, was not about the end time. It was about giving us life here. It was about us bringing heaven here on earth and then taking it into glory. Allowing this world to be changed by the manifold wisdom of God that has been reserved and now released 
in this time, for such a time as this, that it would shift and change every walk, every genre of life. And if the believers can get on the same page with the Father and allow him to do what he needs to do in us, then we will be in the places we're supposed to be. We'll meet the people we're supposed to meet. We'll have this impact. But not only that, them in the second heaven, those that fell, would get to see what it is to truly be a son or a daughter, to truly serve our king the way they should have. They would get to see it, and they won't know what to do with the manifest wisdom of God because it hasn't been given to them. It's been given to us. It has been our mandate to show all of creation who God truly is in us. So when you think about that woman drinking that water that Jesus is offering, honey, she was being invited into something. She had no clue. She had no clue. But here's the thing. Let's go back to John chapter four, because we got to land this plane and bring it home. So, you know, let, you know, pick up your tables and um, unplug your devices and, um, and sit, bring your chair back up to the 90 degree angle because we're about to land. And uh, and uh, we're about to land this thing. And here, here, here's, here we go. We finish here. After he tells her all this stuff here, in verse 15, <coughs> he says this to her. And Jesus, and, and the woman says it to him, sir, give me this water that I don't thirst, neither come to draw. She's still thinking natural. But she's on the right page because the moment you call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. He goes on and he says, now I got to tell her what this is really about because she still thinks this is about natural things. And I'm trying to heal the things that are spiritual, that are attached to her soul because these are the things that are getting in the way of purpose, destination, uh, the right people coming into your life. I'm after those things because what's in you, you will draw to you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It, what's in you, you will draw to you. If sanctification has not sanctified that area, you will draw what's in you, to you. So Jesus says this to her. Then the woman answered and said, Jesus said this in verse 17, he says, go and call your husband. Go and call your husband. And I think she's like, wait, wait, what's my husband got to do with me having a drink? Okay. But then she answers. The woman answers and says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you have rightly answered. You've had five. And the one you with is not yours. And then she says, sir, I suspect that you are a prophet. Jesus had to go there now because Jesus had to take her to the place and say, hey, I'm not talking about natural water. I gave you that as a point of reference for you to get on the same page with me. But I'm bringing it home now. I'm talking about your soul. There are areas in your soul that you are thirsty and God and I have water to satisfy and to sustain so that you're never thirsty again because when I feel you when you seek to do when you seek righteousness he says blessed are them that thirst and hunger after righteousness when you choose to do things that you used to do in the wrong way to satisfy those things in you if you choose to go the righteous way and do it those ways God says I will satisfy you and it will be sustained he says but if you continue to go about what you used to do to satisfy your hunger and your thirst the way you used to, then you'll always be thirsty and you'll always be in want and you'll never have and you'll live a life that is subpar, never knowing what it is to be triumphant because you choose to do things your way. He says, but 
if you do it, if you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, if you thirst for the rightness of God to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to pursue relationship in the righteous way. I'm going to pursue this in this righteous way. I'm not going to take the easy way on my job where I could undercut somebody and get this promotion and do it wrong. I'm going to stay where I'm at and trust God because God knows how to open doors that no man can close. He is the way maker. We sing about the way maker, but do you believe he is a way maker that will make a way out of no way? He said, I'm here to do a new thing. And he says, did I not tell you? He says, what? He says, I will make a way in a wilderness and a river in a desert. Where there was no water, I'll put water. Where there was no way, I'll make a way because that's who I am. But you've got to go my way. So when you thirst and hunger after righteousness or doing things the right way in right standing with God, what? Then he says, I'm here to satisfy and to sustain so that you're never thirsting for those things ever again. We were never meant to just be thirsty. Here's the prerequisite. John 15. Let's go to John 15. John's a great book. If you're looking for a good book to fellowship in and to read and spend some time in, John is a great book to read. It's so it's so rich with so much stuff. I would encourage you. I spent one time, I spent, I think almost spent two or three months in John, just taking my time reading. John is a great book. It's a really great book. It's one I think it's one of the best books of the gospel. But that's just my opinion. They're all good, but I love John. I love John because in John, each four of the gospel, just a side note, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John depict different aspects of Jesus. Matthew depicts Jesus as the coming king. Mark depicts Jesus as the servant, the ox. Luke depicts Jesus as man. And then John depicts Jesus as the eagle. Or the eagle is always, always a symbolism of God. And so when you think about the four creatures that Daniel read, if you get a chance to read Daniel chapter 1, and he saw these four creatures that had these four faces, uh, uh, a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle. He was what he was encountering was the manifestation, a, a manifestation of Jesus. He didn't know what he was looking at, but that's what he was staring at, because that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John, when you read it, pulls no punches. He goes in and tells him, "I am, I, I am the great I am. Before Abraham was, I am." In other other gospels, he kind of <clears throat> speaks in parables and and kind of, you know, speaks in dark sayings to them. And, and if they have an ear, they're going to hear. But John, he comes straight out and tell you, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. Your, your, Moses didn't give you that bread. My father in heaven gave you that bread. Isn't that something? <laughs> and I'm that bread that you've been eating on, that you didn't know you were eating on. And now that bread is standing in front of you trying to give you life. He tells him, he says, when you look in scriptures, you're searching for eternal life, but you're looking for me. Because I am eternal life. I am the bread of life, and you're trying to find it apart from me. That's what religious people do. They try to find things apart from God. Or people in the world do that even more. I want to find healing for fear apart from God. When perfect love casts out fear. And last I check, perfect love is who? Christ Jesus. Let's get to the, prereq pre the, 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 the prerequisite for this to be. John 15 says this, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. But every branch that beareth fruit, he purges, prunes, that it may bring forth much fruit. Those that have gardens in here, you have cut your trees down, and then what? The, the next time that tree blooms, it blooms even more. That's what the Lord does. So those who, who choose to bear fruit, he's going to prune you. So that means you're going to have seasons of sanctification where he's pruning you, getting you ready. In each season, you're getting better and better. You're blooming more and more, more and more, more and more. Let's keep going. Verse uh, 3 says this, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. 
You need a fellowship in the word because the word keeps you clean. It washes you. It's the detergent that you need to wash. It is also the fire that burns away the impurities. It is also the sledgehammer that smashes the hardened areas so that what? It can get in and, and land in your heart and grow and shift and change your life. Verse 4 says this, abide in me and I in you. As the branch can't do nothing of itself or the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. So you can't bear fruit of yourself. He's talking about the fruit that you need to bear because you can bear bad fruit, but the good fruit that comes from Christ Jesus can only be bared when you're connected with him. Except you abide in the vine because the vine is the life source. Amen. Let's keep going. And he goes on and he says here, no more can you except you abide in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me, I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. For if any man abides not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And the man that gathered him will cast him to throw him in the fire. Just keep reading. If you abide in me, my words will abide in you, and you shall ask what you will, and I will do it. <clears throat> Herein is my Father glorified. The Father gets glorification that ye bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. So when you bear much fruit, that is pleased. That's why you go through that process of sanctification, being pruned. Why? Because you're going. he sees what you're going to become. You may not be able to see it yet, but he sees it. And if you trust him, he'll take you right into that and it will manifest so you can see it. It says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you and continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I keep my father's commandments and abide in his love. All this happens. All this is a possible from the place of abiding. Jesus could satisfy and give you something to sustain. But if you do not stay in abiding with him, if abiding is not a lifestyle, it's not the life you're living, then what he gives you can be short-lived. Not because his gift brought sorrow, it is because you made bad choices. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. It adds no sorrow. Well, you say, well, why do I feel sorrowful in this? Because maybe you made some bad decisions. Because there's nothing that God does is wrong. He sets you up to run, to prosper, to excel. But this is all in the context that you would choose to stay in abiding, that you would do this covenantly with him, that you would not hear the secrets and run off and try to do them yourself, but that you would say, God, I'm so grateful that you share this. How are we going to do this? Let's do this. Let's do this. Just like you would do this with your mate, your person that you're married to. How much more? Because we are married to him. He's the bridegroom and we are the bride and we're being sanctified for him. So some of you on here, God wants to quench your thirst. There's nothing on this earth that can quench the thirst that you have in your soul. You can buy money. The Bible says, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose their soul? Do you know there are many of our people in churches or in the world that's got great talent that have met the devil, sold their soul, and, they are, and they're, they're coming in money. But guess what? They're not happy. You just gave away the most precious thing to the devil, your soul. And if you don't stop, you'll die that way. There are a lot of people in the entertainment business that are dying, dropping dead because they sold their soul for fame. They went the fast way. Trusting that the enemy was going to do it. Yeah. That birthright. Selling there for a bowl of beans because their God was their appetite. 
their God was this strong desire to be fulfilled that was the, was the feeling of the flesh. Because when we acknowledge God in all our ways, when we seek the right way to do it, we're trusting God is going to bring us to the water, we ain't going to drown. He's going to bring us to the fire, we're not going to be burned. But his intent is to bring us into a wealthy place. That's his intentions. That's what he intends to do. And you're going to have a, and, and he's going to mold and shape and make you into the people of God. Because why? What you're here for on this earth is bigger than showing off, letting people see. It's about the glory of the Lord. It's about showing all of creation what it is to be a son of God and to manifest this manifest wisdom that has been hidden to be released in our time. So, Father, I pray right now, in the name of Jesus, everybody at the sound of my voice, I pray right now that this, what has been spoken, that which has been shared, would, be, would begin to break off. Loosen. The scales would fall off their eyes and they would see with such clarity because the truth comes to set them free. I speak that there'll be such a holy conviction. There'll be such a there'll be such a reverence, a fear of the Lord, that I love the Lord so much that I would not want to hurt him. I don't want to stay in this situation if it grieves my Lord. I would not want to do this if it hurts him. I have so much respect, and Lord, I just repent for dealing with him, our Lord, in contempt. Not having reverence, not having respect, being nonchalant. Thinking that these things in the world would satisfy when they are here today and gone tomorrow. Let us be the generation of them that seek thy face. Let us be like Jacob that recognize the gateway of heaven. That we would lift up our heads, O ye gates. We would open those doors so that what? The king of glory can come in. That we would be a people that would herald the king of glory, that we would host him, we would carry him, we would bring him into the marketplaces, we would bring him everywhere that even if he's not welcome, that we're taken there. Because it is his will that the earth be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the earth. I speak that there'll be repentance, a true repentance that says, I am not going that way no more. I'm done. Not I'm sorry and I go right back into it. That's not repentance. Repentance is to take on Yahweh, to say no more my way, but Yahweh. I don't want at the end of my life to be the song that is sung, I did it my way. I want to be the song that I saw, I pleased him, that he saw me and I pleased him. Father, I pray that you would encounter each one of these, these loved ones, these beloveds in their homes, that you would encounter them, that you would come in and reveal yourself to them in such a way that they would not want to leave that place in anything that would get in the way they would get rid of. Because the reality is, they are the house of God. Their heart is the place where the Word and the Father and the Son and the Spirit lives. It is in us, Emmanuel. God with us is realized. And they would have a revelation that the Holy Spirit has been graciously there while they've been in the midst of stuff, that they'd be willing to say, no more will I subject you to this because I love you more. Not this thing, not this person. They would give 
themselves to you fully and completely so that their potential, so that who they are is realized because they are meant to go into every high place and, and manifest the manifest wisdom of God with the authority and power of Christ, whether it is business, education, family, religion, politics, arts, and, 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 uh, and entertainment, wherever it is, you are sending them. They are to carry the manifest wisdom of God. They are to show this world, both spiritually and naturally, what it is to be a son, what it is to be a son of God. I plead the blood over them. And I bless them, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.